Episode 56 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. What I learned on my holiday. Radio team, welcome along to episode 56 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Welcome along. It's uh, uh, I, I know it's been a couple of weeks since where I released the show, but I've been on holiday for a, a month or so. Well, I went away for three weeks, and now I'm back from my holiday. <laughs> and so I pre-recorded all the shows before I went away, and uh, Joe and I, we headed over to Bali, and we uh, had three weeks, well, just under three weeks there, and then some time in Australia to do some shopping. And it was... Uh, Really nice trip. Uh, Bali's Bali's for uh, those who don't know much about Bali. Bali, it's it's a very big Australian destination for holidays. So there are lots of Australians here, and quite a few Kiwis, and quite a few Europeans actually. It was interesting to see Germans and um, some of the European countries as well. But it's a it's a very cheap place. It's one of those places where your dollar goes a far long way. And uh, one of the real benefits was massage. And Joe and I had a massage every day when we were in Bali and so it was a yeah, it was, <laughs> I was very relaxed. On our last day, we had four hours of massage. Or four, like, um, I got a, I got a bloody pedicure done, um, massage, body scrub, facial. Uh, I felt very pampered. It's not something I do often in my life. One thing I do have to talk about in regards to my trip to holiday, uh, Bali, and, and it's, it's something I noticed, but it's also something that one of my runners asked me about the other day. They, they, I, was, I was with my, one of my runners the other day and she was just saying to me, what do you do on holiday to make sure you stay healthy? And um, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because I think what happens when we go on holiday is that it's almost like we allow ourselves to go to excess. You know, when you think about when you go on holiday, what do you do? You think, oh, fine, it's a chance to chillax. And it's finally a chance for me to catch up on just me being crazy with my behaviors and what a lot of people when they go on holiday do is they they remove kind of the boundaries that they have in their life around staying healthy so you know a lot of people drink to excess when they're on holiday a lot of people eat to excess when they're on holiday a lot of people you know like it was interesting we sat in a place where a lot of smokers and i have to admit in my life i'm not normally around a lot of smokers and you can see people who are just kind of smoking all the time now i'm I'm actually not that judgmental of smoking. I think it's your life, your choice. I, I don't think it's the wisest move you can make in your life, but I don't think it's my role to tell you how to live your life. But at the end of the day, I, you know, you can see people who just had a fag in their mouth pretty much all day, every day. And I think sometimes that when we go on holidays, we have um, this, I'm going into a no boundaries area. I'm going to this, I'm going to my wild, wild west. And I'm, I'm going to go crazy while I'm there. And, and if anything, that's one of the things you look forward to when you go on holiday. But what's the cost of that? You know, like, what's the real cost of that? And, and, and ultimately, do you, is that, that satisfying when you're doing it? Like, when you're on holiday and you are just, let's say you are someone who drinks to excess when you're on holiday, is, it, is, it, is that the ultimate holiday for you? Or would it be cool just to have, a, you know, a level of drinking that's really fun and, and, and so on, but then also to get out and do other things. And I suppose that was kind of my answer to my to the person I was talking to when I was running. She was saying, well, how do you keep healthy when you're on holiday? And I said, well, I, I let the reins out, but I don't let them go. 
And I think that's a really important thing to think about when we go to these times in our lives when we're out of routine, we're out of maybe the boundaries that keep us healthy in everyday life, is that, sure, going on holiday is partly about letting the rains out. Like, I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to read a lot of books, I'm probably going to eat a bit more food, I'm going to explore a bit more food. I don't drink, but I'm sure if I drink, I probably drink a bit more. Admittedly, when I'm on holiday, I do drink my Coke, <laughs> my Coke Zero. Um, so I let the rains out, but I don't let them go. And really, why is that? Well, because I can still enjoy these things by letting the rains out a little bit, but I can minimize the damage that that time can have. So when I come back from holiday, I don't feel like I've put on 10kg and I've now got to work to lose that 10kg off. I can come back from holiday and go, oh, you know, I still feel like I'm in a pretty good place. I've enjoyed letting the rains out. I've enjoyed my holidays. Now I can just get back into my routine. So just something to think about if, you know, if you think about your own self in your life and you think about those times where maybe you're pulling away from, you know, you're going on holiday or you've got a weekend away and, you know, do you then think of that time as just a moment, an opportunity to let go of the reins and just kind of go crazy on unhealthy behaviours? And could you still have a really cool experience if you just let the reins out enough? And so you could have that experience but do less damage in that time. Stuff to think about. Now, if you're listening at the end of the show, this is the bit that I was talking about that's going to make sense later on. Anyway, uh, here, let's talk about my patrons. Anyway, um, so I'm back into the swing of things. I've got uh, today's shows coming up, and I've, I'm trying to arrange some interviews for the next couple of shows. I've got for my next few interview shows, and I have to admit, I read a book while or in the last period of time, which I think has been one of the most... Uh, one of the best books I've read in a long time, to be honest. I, well, I listened to a book. I listened to a lot of books. And uh, this book was one of those ones which really shifted my thinking. Uh, and I'm not going to talk too much about it right now because I want to see if I can get the authors on the show. Or at least there's three authors of it. So I want to see if I can get at least one author on the show. Fingers crossed I can make that happen. Uh, it's a pretty popular book, so I'm not quite sure if I'll be able to make that happen. But if I can, I think it will be a really great interview and I'll talk more about that book at the time. And then I've arranged another interview, but it can't happen until July. So I've got some some really cool interviews coming up for you guys over the next period of time. So that's kind of cool as well. Today's show is the show where it's just me kind of spinning some yarns with you guys. And I've got an interesting show today. And um, yeah, it's a little bit revealing on my behalf, but I think there's some real value in it. So I'm going to kind of get into that in a second. But before I do, I've got to thank all the patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of Fitness Behaviour, uh, just you go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com, and you click on the link to the Patreon page, and it takes you through there, and you can just set up so you can become a patron. And basically, every time I release an episode of the show, you then will contribute whatever you want to contribute to the show. And I'm just going to go and pull up the names right now of the latest people, because I'm going to give them a nickname. So here we go. So I've got some names pulled up here in front of me, and I've got Samuel... Well, Melino Weaver, I think it is. Melino Weaver. And I'm going to call Samuel the Mysterious Man. I like that one. And Donald James, he's a he's a really supporter, a big supporter of my work. And he works for NASA. And I love the fact that someone from NASA likes my work. It makes me feel more intelligent myself. There's no truth to that, but I, I feel it myself. So Donald James, I'm going to call you the Explorer. I like that. You know, exploring new universes, exploring your own mind. Uh, Brittany McEcheron. Uh, I think that's how you say your last name. And I'm going to call Brittany Mystic. Just kind of mystic, mysterious. I like that. Greg Crowley. Uh, he's the Python. Luke Miller. I know Luke. He's a uh, base one. I think he's in Singapore now. But Luke Mayhem Miller. That's got a good... Uh, 
I have to admit, because I make these up, I think they're all really good. Uh, <laughs> you may like them or you may not, but that's what you get in Luke. And then uh, Pip Langford. Pip Langford is actually a lady who comes to my classes. She's come to my classes. Far I've been teaching for maybe 16 years now. And Pip, I think she's been coming as long as I've been teaching. And Pip's this lady who just destroys herself when she's exercising. She just puts her head down. Like if we're doing a spin class, she just puts her head down and you can tell she's working. And so I've called her the silent assassin. The silent assassin, Pip Langford. So again, if you want to become a patron on the show, you want to get your fitness behavior patron name, uh, go to patreon.com or go to bevanjamesisles.com. Click on my patron link, go through to that, and then that way you can just sort out how you can support the show. Anyway, a bit of a short intro today. I haven't done my 20-minute intro that I sometimes do. I'm going to get straight into today's show, so let's put some music on and let's get rolling. I think I've talked about this on the show in the past, this, this kind of little bit here. Uh, if you've done listen to the show for a while, I, I often worry that there's crossover and there's bound to be because it's often me talking about my life experience. And <laughs> at the end of the day, there's only so many stories, I suppose. But there was a period in my life where I experienced some depression. And uh, when I talk about depression, uh, I think the level I've, of depression I experienced was what you would call very entry level depression. Uh, it was not the level of depression where. Um, I needed to go on drugs. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't over majorly overwhelming in my life. But there was a period where some things were happening, which was creating a feeling within myself which just didn't feel right. And admittedly, I didn't go get it seen to. Um, and 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 it's important that for those listening right now that it's. I you understand. I think there's there's no fault in depression and to be honest I'm no expert on depression so I'm not really talking about depression right here as as a thing and I don't want to to judge any type of depression and hopefully if you are someone who's experiencing depression you are encouraging yourself to get support and to work towards finding a better way it's it's such an important thing you know like often these you know while I speak of my own very short period of time is for me it was very much a a feeling in my stomach. I had this, and it's hard to put my name on uh, to words to it, but I just had this feeling in my stomach that that I would sit within. And when I had that feeling, there was this kind of doubt and questioning and, and all of these types of things happening in my head. And, uh, and, and this probably lasted for maybe two or three months for me, and then I managed to kind of work through it and find the other side. But it was definitely an interesting time in my life. And, and for those who, again, are, do experience it, um, you know, the thing I can, I would encourage the most is that you seek help. And, and if I'm going to be really honest here, I know that when I was going in this myself, it was always, I was living in this place where I was, if it gets worse, I will, worse, I will deal with it. And that was my thinking that I don't like where I am right now. But I also don't really want my world to know about it because, come on, I'm, I'm me. I'm, I'm the guy who's happy. I'm the guy who's uh, that a lot of people inspires a lot of people. I'm the guy who stands up in front of people and, you know, I'm the fit guy. You know, I had all these positive things and I'm, I kind of represent that to so many other people that if I was experiencing depression, I, I kind of didn't want people to know about that. And because it was a kind of a, a lower level of this, 
I thought to myself, I'll try to figure it out. And if it gets worse, if it gets worse, I'll go and get some help then. And I remember that there was a period where it was just kind of going on for, you know, maybe, you know, it was just kind of a consistent thing in my day. It wasn't something that was in my day 24 hours, but there was just these moments of my day where it would come into my day. And I remember thinking like, you know, if, if it's still here next week, I'm going to do something about it. And, um, and I didn't. <laughs> and, you know, and, I, and I'm, as much as I'm telling everybody who is experiencing these types of things to, to move towards support and help, it was something that I found hard to do and I didn't actually end up doing. Now, luckily for me, it didn't get worse and eventually it kind of just disappeared. So kind of life went on. But it was a really interesting experience to go through and, um, yeah. So recently I, I went on holiday and with Joe and I, we were headed to Bali and um, I got the feeling back. I got the feeling of the feeling that I used to have when I experienced that depression. And I don't know why. I, I, I didn't know why that was happening. Well, no, if I'm going to be real honest, maybe I did. I live in a world, I think I talked about this in the last show, but I live in a world where I'm very dependent on myself for security. So um, while I've, I've, I've been fortunate to live, you know, to make a successful life around fitness, and that, I live in a world where there's no security as such. So most people listening to the show go to a job and they work their nine to five and they're guaranteed an income each week. And sometimes, you know, those people in those roles don't have very passion-filled life, but the security of that is a nice thing that comes alongside that. Well, for me, um, I do, I don't have that security. So I'm very much like, there's often, I wouldn't say this often, but there are times where I think to myself, Farah, I might not have enough money to live off in the next few weeks from now. Now, while I say that, these thoughts are foolish thoughts, well, not foolish, but are kind of unrealistic because financially my partner and I have done really well. We're very responsible with money, which has meant that we've done well financially. I, I always have earned enough money and um, and I've always never had a problem. You know, the history shows me that I'm fine. I suppose that's the best way to put it. But for some reason when I went on holiday, that, that, that seemed to be a thing that popped up in my head. And maybe it's because I stopped and I allowed myself just to relax for a few weeks, but just that whole idea of what happens if my ability to earn falls away? What happens to my world? And and, and this was kind of a subconscious thought that was going in my mind when I was kind of taking this moment to stop. It, it, it wasn't an overwhelming thought that ruined my holiday, don't get me wrong, I had a great holiday, but it was just this thought that would pop up sometimes throughout my holiday. And... I don't think it was what how I categorized depression that I experienced when I was in the earlier stage in my life, but the stomach feeling definitely came back. And the stomach feeling, again, was this thing like, well, what's happening here? What, what's Why am I getting this? Because if you look at the evidence in my life, everything's pretty great. Like I've got, I have an amazing life. And uh, so why was the stomach feeling coming along? And I think it was partly a little bit of doubt that I was sitting in at that moment. And, you know, and that's probably one of the reasons why. But it was a really interesting moment for me to think about. And the, the interesting thing about it, around it, was where did that lead my thinking to? And I suppose this is where I want to try to go with today's 
podcast. Ultimately, what happened on my holiday is I experienced a level of self-doubt, a little bit of self-doubt around the security of my life. And um, through that self-doubt, I, you know, I obviously had some physical expression of that self-doubt, the stomach feeling, and some internal communication around this self-doubt. Now what started to happen as I was experiencing this kind of physical and internal, you know, kind of dialogue with myself was I almost went down a bit of a downward spiral and not necessarily like I went further into the way I was feeling, but I started to, to kind of see where this, if the things that I was thinking were to come true, where, which path would this lead me down in my life? What would be the consequences of living in this place where I was in a bit of doubt? And, you know, obviously that's probably not a positive place to live, you know, or, or a positive outcome that I was looking for. And and if I'm if I'm gonna be really honest, I probably sat in that place for a little bit too long. You know, and so uh, I was kind of painting a picture of a you know, you know, just not what was good for me, if you know what I mean. And and this really got me thinking, and 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 it got me thinking of this whole idea of when I'm insecure in my life, and when I have doubt or lack of confidence or uh, depression or you know any of these types of things, what actions does that trigger within me? What actions does that lead me towards as I, when I get to that place? Because ultimately, unfortunately for me, while this was not necessarily the nicest time for me in that kind of few days that I went through this, for me, the place that I always find is the way to get out of this is to take action, is to take action and to do things that are going to make me overcome the place that I am. So I kind of sat in this place with this funny feeling, this stomach feeling, the internal dialogue, and you know, I kind of went down this bit of a downward spiral of the vision of what my future would bring if I were to believe the self-doubt that I had. But then, fortunately for me, I had the ability to snap and go, oh, this thinking is only leading me towards withdrawing from actions and behaviours that work in my life to keep me healthy both physically and mentally. So in the end, the way I got through this kind of tough moment, and again, I don't think this was necessarily the depression level because I'm not quite sure if the, what I'm offering here is how to deal with depression today, but, but the way I got through with it was that when things started to get tough, my perspective was, oh, this is when you need to work harder on making sure you're sharp. And this is a really interesting thing to think about when we think about ourselves and our lives. Because what a lot of people happens to a lot of people is that when they experience self-doubt, lack of confidence, or, or tough times, it opens up the door to an action and, and destructive behaviours that actually create the bad place that they don't want to be in, and if anything, keeps them there longer and takes them deeper into that place. And fortunately, and I just think this is something that's just, maybe it's been bred in me, maybe it's from experience, but fortunately for me, when I experience those moments where I have doubt, where you know where I am maybe a little bit doubtful about my ability to, to provide and, and all those types of things, my natural response is to go, well, now it's the time I need to work. Now it's the time I need to put time and energy into overcoming this thing that I'm doubtful of.
But when you think about yourself, where do those times in your life take you? Where do those times in your life where you may get a bit of a hit to your confidence take you? Where you're you're living in self-doubt? Where does that take you? And and what I'm looking for here is, I suppose the first thing to say is that nearly all of us are going to have moments of where we where we lack some confidence and where we we're doubting ourselves and where we're lacking some esteem, like I think that's that's to be human. I really do. I, I don't think no one lives a well. I can't say no one. I think not many people live a charmed life where it's only happy thoughts all the time. And uh, I know my world probably perceives me a lot in that way because I am I am pretty happy. And. Um, I know myself, I, I have those moments. And so I think it's important to acknowledge, first of all, that I think doubt, insecurity, moments where we lack confidence, where we're questioning, is actually the human experience. And if we can understand this is a part of the experience that I'm going to have in my life, then we've got to think about what's the effect of those moments when we're in that place. And where do I go when I'm in that place? And then what is the cost of the actions I take after that moment when I'm in that place? And I suppose why I'm sharing this with you today was that while I didn't necessarily like going to that place on holiday, fortunately for me, my life has taught me, or maybe it's installed in me, but it's taught me that when I hit these times, I need to address how to get through them, and I need to reinforce what was really good in my life and make sure I'm doing those types of things. I wonder... People, certain, some people, well, you know, I know, some people when they hit these times in their lives, it actually leads them towards actions which create the thing they're so doubtful of. So let's say you've got an insecurity or you've got some doubt or you've got some area where you're lacking confidence and, and you get to that place where I was on holiday where, you know, you're just questioning yourself a lot. And, and, and probably deep down you know you're questioning yourself to an, an irrational level. Like, realistically I didn't need to be worrying about my financial position to that level it, it, it was silly you know like uh, uh, we're going to be okay <laughs> you know we're, we're doing fine we're going to be okay and, and, and if anything we're fine but that place took me to that place and, and so when you were in this place like this yourself where you could probably look at the situation and know that you're being a bit irrational and, and the doubt that you're sitting in and that you're asking yourself you know, you probably know that, you know, if you, you, you know, but at the same time, it's there. And at the same time, while it's there, you can't, you know, it's it's almost like you can't remove it. It's just kind of going on and on in your head. And, and it's funny, I often think that what happens when we have these negative times, it's like we're, we put a tape recorder on in our head and the tape recorder just keeps repeating the same kind of doubtful, thoughts over and over again it's just like on rewind play rewind play rewind play and as much as we know we should escape it and we can maybe look and think well i'm this you know i am in all right in this area it's really hard to overcome at that moment but the thing i'm curious about is when you're in this place where you have this little bit of insecurity what actions do that lead do they lead to does that place lead to do those actions lead to a place which end up being more destructive in your life? Like we we look at 
people who experience stress in like comfort eating for those you know a lot of people are overweight because of comfort eating and when they experience self-doubt and stuff that they they start to beat themselves up they they emotionally beat themselves up and then they get to the point where they just need food because they want to high they want to hit and they eat the food and what does it do makes them kind of be more harder on themselves and there's obviously costs that they might put weight on or they might not lose the weight that they're aiming to lose and so on so in my insecure moment I take myself to a place which actually ends up hurting me in the long term or even in the short term, but it ends up having this cost in my life. Now, if we can see this is the case, maybe what we should all be working on is injecting strategies in our life to help us deal with those times when we are feeling insecure and doubtful of our ability. Now what I'm, what I'm thinking about here is not necessarily even that I'm trying to overcome the doubt. Because sometimes the doubt's true. Like sometimes, you know, like you might want to run a half marathon and, and you've never ran a half marathon and, and your doubt is, maybe it's a good healthy doubt. Maybe it's, it is true that you aren't as competent in the area where you are lacking confidence. What I'm looking at here is, what does my doubt stop me from doing that I should be doing? And that's the thing I want you to think about when you think about yourself, is that instead of being going towards behaviours that are destructive and harmful to me in my moments of insecurity and doubt and those types of things, I want to inject a way of thinking that reminds me of what I should be doing at that time. So I experience doubt. Traditionally, when I experience doubt and lack in confidence, I comfort eat. Or I just sit in front of the TV all night, staying up late. Or I don't do my exercise that I should be doing. Or I withdraw from my partner. Or I do all of those things. And I know that the cost to my life is quite massive. And instead of doing that, when I experience those feelings in my life, what I want to do is to go, okay, well, this is the most important time for me to make sure I still keep some exercise up. This is the most important time for me to make sure I still do my food planning, to make sure I get some sleep. This is the most important time for me to be open to support from those around me. This is the most important time for me to to do work that, that builds security in the areas that I can get security. That at these times, when I'm hit with this, instead of allowing me to open up a door to behaviors that will ultimately make me feel worse about myself and my both physically and mentally but actually will help me stay as healthy as I possibly can through these tough times I'm sure you can agree that if if like if you are someone who's listening to this right now and you know that deep down you have those moments and again I think it's kind of a human experience to have these moments I think we all you know at times in our life some more than others and some to a higher level than others, but you know, at times in life we all have these kind of moments of doubt. But I think we can all agree that if in those moments I knew that this is when I need to reinforce certain behaviours that increase my level of healthiness, both physically and mentally, that those times will come at a much less damaging cost to my life. And really, I suppose that's what I'll, that, that's, I suppose that's the key point. That's what, what I'm trying to get to here. I, I kind of maybe I've been waffling today, but but really, is in my tough moments, where do I naturally start to head towards? What path do I choose at those moments? 
And in those tough moments, what if I were to be able to put a path in place that was a healthier path, how would that affect the, the cost of that time? And I think we can all agree that the, the cost of that time would be minimalized because of those actions. So if we know that's the case, then what we want to start to think about is, well, how do I know to do that? And then how do I know what to move towards? And I think one thing that needs to be acknowledged here is that in that moment, it's probably not the best time to, to learn that skill. And I think this is one of those areas that we need to become really good at future thinking, that we need to really kind of plan. If you know you have these moments of doubt and it leads to you sitting on the couch, overeating, staying up late and feeling bad about yourself, which makes you put on weight and, and so on and so on, well then you need to develop a strategy for those moments of doubt so those options don't become available to you at those times. And if anything, when you experience those stomach feelings like I did, that it's, oh, this is the moment where I need to go towards this behavior or these sets of behaviors. So I suppose the next question then is, for you, what would be that strategy? What would be the strategy that you could implement in that time? And then secondly, how can you remind yourself to go to that place when you experience that? Like it was one thing I did with this, it was funny with my stomach feeling, I gave it a different name. It was really funny because it was a it was a feeling and it was kind of a feeling that I'd associated to that time in my life when I was depressed and I I don't know if this time it was but I, but I had I, I felt similar so I kind of associated it to that and I thought no well I'll give it a different name it's it's a different thing to me now and so I called it healthy doubt I thought to myself okay well what I'm experiencing right now is healthy doubt and when I experience healthy doubt what I should move towards is these things over here so making sure I work making sure I'm, you know, these things that I came up with for my own plan to healthily get through this. And so I think there's kind of a few areas to think about here. First of all is learning when you go to that place and learning to use that as a trigger towards the strategies that you're going to use that are going to keep you on the healthier path option. And really... I really believe that it's worth doing some future thinking. So when I talk about future thinking, it's, it's thinking about the actions you would take when you hit that moment well before you hit that moment. So it might be, you know, that you decide that when you hit that moment, the best thing you can do is to go for a walk, maybe call a friend while you're going for your walk and talk on the cell phone while you're going for a walk um, to make sure you plan a really healthy meal and to read a really good book. That might be how you future think that. And by future thinking that idea, it's just in place. And you may have it written down. You might have an alert on your phone. You may even do a little podcast to yourself and just say, here's what you, okay, you're feeling this way? Hey, I'm here to help you out. And I'm here to be your guide through this next period of time. So listen to me. And it can be your own voice. And you put on that podcast and you go, okay, now go grab your shoes, put your socks on. Don't worry about the mess in the kitchen. We're not judging that. Go out there and go out and, and call call your mate John or call your mate Sue or call, you know, and just talk about what's up. And then when you get home, you're going to do this, this and that. That's quite a cool tool, isn't it? That's quite a tool. Do you think that if in those moments of doubt and those places, where, you know, where that traditionally in your life may have taken you down a bad path, if you'd kind of pre-planned a good strategy to keep you towards healthy behaviours, how do you think that would influence that time for you? It's interesting, I wrote a piece for the paper a couple of weeks ago and it was that whole idea of how long do you stay in your bad place for? Like how long do you stay in your bad place for? 
because we all know our bad place comes at a high cost. But how long do you stay in your bad place for? And really what we're trying to do with this tool here is we're trying to get good at identifying. And then what we're trying to do is to use the plans that we've put in place when we were a bit more rational, when we weren't so emotionally involved, and when we weren't in the doubt. And to use that to then inject those tools in there to get us through this time. So that the time I'm in bad place gets, gets like minimalized. And I can then get back to a place where I'm on the path that's good for me in my life. These insecurities aren't so much in my mind. And maybe they're not in my mind at all. I, I, I think that's pretty much it for today. I think, I think that's all I really wanted to get across. So if I'm going to recap it, it's very much that we all experience times of doubt. We all experience times of insecurity, like we really do. You're not the only one, I'm not the only one. And we, you know, many of us have times in our lives where we don't have it at all, but, you know, I think at times many of us do. What is, where do you go at that time? And what's the flow and effect to your behaviours? And if the flow and effect to your behaviours is unhealthy for your mind and your body, well then... Maybe it's worth spending some time when you're not in that place, future thinking and pre-planning a set of behaviours that will help you through that time. And then to create a way that when you're aware that you're going into that place, that, hey, I need to inject this in right now. You know, I need to, I need to do some work. Like if you feel you're, you're failing at work, or maybe you need to do some work, so you need to future think, okay, how do I work? And it's about planning and stuff like that. And then if you do that, you're going to minimalize the time you're in your bad place. That bad place won't have the flow-on effect of destructive behaviors, and you'll get back to you faster. And that's something that's really, really, you know, I talk about better version of yourself. You know, I always finish this this segment of the show of you become a better version of yourself. And, uh, and sometimes just being the better version of yourself is just being you. And so maybe, you know, that's how I'll finish this one off today is that if you're being you and you're taking healthy behaviors in the way that you know is right for you, you're probably heading towards that better version of yourself. There I go. So that's pretty much the main segment of today's show. Hopefully, hopefully there's, I'm not sure if I, uh, Hopefully you got something out of there. <laughs> it was very much kind of just a, a brain fart. So, um, and, and just to let you guys know, I'm fine. And, and it's funny how once I, you get back into your daily routine, how easily these things disappear. And to be honest, by the end of the holiday, I kind of got through that as well. But, um, you know, it was, it was definitely real to me. And it definitely was. And um, and I don't want to undermine that it wasn't real to me because it was. And it was something that I had to work through. And fortunately for me, I... I've trained myself or I just know to go down a certain path that helps me get through it, not to be destructive. You know, at those moments, that's when I really have to focus on that path. So I was very lucky. And um, so, you know, just, just to keep you guys up to date, I got an email, I got in a couple of emails, or I got a email here to do today. And it's from Catherine. She's got, just listen to your podcast with Wendy Sweet. I'm studying public health. And I found this interview to be exactly the combination that I've been looking for when it comes to a holistic view of health. Something we forget considering how fast we can run or how heavy our reps are. I've only just started exploring my fitness self and definitely approach most things in my life with a scientific or analytical background. I loved hearing Wendy's well-informed opinions on motivation, exercise and 
the juxtaposition of psychology and physiology through exercise. The interview really resonated with some things I have been studying as well, such as healthy aging and the obese epidemic. What a fantastic interview, thanks. Yeah, Wendy was, man, Wendy was amazing. Um, I'll definitely get Wendy on again because she's just, as I said when we did the show, she's just wise <laughs> uh, also thank you heaps for your encouragement at the marathon i must have uh, it was awesome to get a cheer from you and congratulations afterwards i can't believe that i managed to do it just in three days out i'm feeling physically bloody good mentally though i'm a bit stuck having never done something like that before studying for 18 weeks uh, for an exam but training for almost a thousand kilometers that's another story i was wondering if you have any views on how to mentally recover after such an endurance experience i feel as though i'm somehow exhausted and i know time sleep good food etc will help and putting my running shoes on again can't wait but i'm keen to hear other tips or tricks that you've learned or experienced in the fitness journey that is how do i replenish my mental stores after giving everything to run 42 kilometers so it's a really it's a really good question so obviously Catherine's um a bit of a high achiever there's no doubt in there and um and uh she's um you know obviously very intelligent and she's kind of saying that when it comes to the exam muscle she's got you know she's Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh she kind of set the challenge of running a marathon and and, and admittedly this email I was on holiday and I was kind of said to her look I'm not going to get on the show you know, it's pretty much a month since then. So I imagine she has moved on, but I, I just had a really interesting question, the question of how do we how do we get through those times when we're mentally exhausted? And I think there's a few important things to do. Um, there's, there's actually a couple of interesting comments. I'm kind of thinking of two things at once here. I think the first thing to do is there needs to be downtime after a very challenging time in our lives. And when we talk about there needs to be a downtime, if you're training for a marathon, and particularly if you've never done a marathon before, because when you've done a certain level of exercise for a certain period of time, it's no longer the challenge that it was. So, you, you know, if you speak to someone who has run 20 marathons in their life, they're not stretched by the marathon. They might try to go a little bit faster, but the idea of implementing that into my life, not a lot of change is happening there because they've set up a life where running marathons is what they do. But when you're training for your first marathon, suddenly you're going through a lot of change in your life because suddenly you're having to let go of other areas of your life and then to put all this good energy into achieving this goal of running a marathon. So suddenly, you know, the idea of going out for your dinner with friends on Saturday night disappears because you now have to run for a long run on Sunday morning. Suddenly, you know, going, staying up late and just chilling in front of TV disappears because you know you've got to go for a run in the morning. You know, suddenly you're more tired so the energy you put into other things. And because this is all new to you, it becomes this massive kind of strain to your life. But it's a really good strain, like it's it's really positive, so it's something that we want to encourage in our life, and it's, it's there's so many positive benefits of being in this place. It's not something that we want to be pulling away from, it's actually something we want to encourage in our life. You get to the end of this, and, and you have this high, like I'm sure Catherine's experience at the end of the marathon was just the biggest high she could have, because she ran almost a thousand k's leading up to it. And so, you know, when you've worked so hard to achieve a goal, and then you turn up, and, and, and you know, it's a big marathon, crowds, people are cheering you along, you, the guy on the mic that was me, I was cheering you along, you know, it's such a kind of peak moment. And in endurance sport, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of athletes experience what they kind of call post-race depression, 
And that's, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily depression, but it's that whole, when I've come down from that high. And a few things happen at that moment, because what happens is we, we've, we come down from that high, and it's such a high, and then it's almost like, two things happen actually, we also start to pull away from the level of exercise we've done before that moment. So if we look at Catherine, she ran for a thousand Ks running up to this race. And so each week was a challenge and she was getting fitter and she felt good. But then post-race, one of the things you need to do is you need to allow your body some downtime. It's it's just the wise thing to do. Your body needs to recover from the stress that you've just put it under. And so post-race, you pull back from the level of exercise you've done. Now, while you're running towards that thousand Ks, what's happening is you're building this esteem within yourself, this confidence and this this esteem. I'm overcoming doubt. I'm feeling really good about myself. And so that's this really powerful thing. And then you hit this high moment and then you start doing nothing. And at the same time, you kind of, you slip back to the life you were before that moment. And and, and suddenly also you, you have free time. And because you're a bit unfocused because you don't have a goal, you can often just waste that free time. So you've gone from this place where you're really stimulated, you're kind of maximizing your time, you're, you're hitting every box in your life and you're feeling really good to a time where you're kind of doing bugger all physically, where you've got a lot of free time and if anything, you've got too much free time so you feel you're wasting your life. And so it can you can kind of see how this place can be a little bit of a dangerous place and can have this, you know, I don't know if it's negative, but just kind of as bad, you know, it could be a hard place to be. And I think, so So, what would my advice be? I think there's a few things to think about here. Um, the first thing to, to, to do is to acknowledge that you need the downtime. And to really contemplate, what do I need from this downtime? So, if we look at the physical component of this, you need my body to recover, and I need my body to recover as fast as possible and as safe as possible so I can get back to a level of exercise I like before, you know, in the shortest period of time. So after a marathon, that's probably going to be a couple of weeks. But in the two weeks post-race, you know, well, what do I want to do to make sure I'm encouraging the best recovery for my body? So I may want to get a little bit of massage. I might want to do some light, no-impact exercise. I might jump on a bike. I might want to pull away from intensity. But you really think about what I need. I want to get some good nutrition in, so I make sure I'm kind of, particularly post-race, close post-race, so I'm replenishing the body with good nutrition. So I really are thinking about what I need to put back in so I can get back to, to you know, what I like doing, exercise. But you also need to think about what else do I need. So that's the physical, but mentally I also need a bit of relief. And, and sometimes it's a little bit about allowing yourself to have the downtime. So it might be that, you know, a couple nights a week you're just going to allow yourself to just chill out in front of TV and get out a DVD or, or watch a movie or, or go to the movies or friends or, or maybe you felt you've missed out on social over the last period of time because you've been so committed to this goal. So this is a good chance for me to catch up on social. Now, so there's, this, there's this, the fulfilling of the need that I need to get through this time. But then there's also this whole idea of how do I do as little damage as possible in this next period of time? Because I'll give you the classic example. Years ago, I did bodybuilding. Now, if you look at me, team, you would never thought I've done bodybuilding because I'm a bit of a lean. They used to call me the racing sardine when I swam. And and I had one of those peak moments like Chris, um, Catherine went through with her marathon. I, I trained hard for, for about a year, really, to do this bodybuilding competition. And I sacrificed and I trained hard and I did and, and I did sacrifice of nutrition. I did a, like a no carb period for like two or three weeks and was pretty much 
kind of just starving myself. And I remember I did my competition and the next day I thought to myself, I'm going to eat everything that I've missed out on over the last you know, six months when I'm getting in peak condition for the race. And I'm not lying. I ate every bit of food that I felt I'd missed out on. So much so that that night when I went to bed, I ended up spewing. I know, it, it, it's disgusting. It, it, it was stupid behaviour. But because I felt I'd missed out, I felt I needed to kind of catch up a little bit. But I did it in a way that was actually damaging. And that's what we don't want to do in these post-peak moment times, is we want to think about what we need. So we probably do need some treats because we've kind of gone without. We probably do need to let our body recover. We probably do need some mental kind of just letting the balloon relief a little bit. But we want to find the right level of how to do that. So you might have you know, some treats, but you're not going to do what I do and eat everything you missed out on the last period of time. You might need some downtime, but generally it's going to be a small percentage of your life. Actually, you want to still maintain a good level of what you normally do. And then lastly, my last point is, is you want to reset kind of soon. And that's often what we find is the biggest mistake people make is you'll get this peak moment where, you know, like Catherine, she hits her marathon goal and she gets to the end. And you hit this peak moment. And then at the end of the peak moment, like I've, I've talked about this in the show in the past, but basically when you think about Catherine signing up for the marathon over the next, I don't know, 18 weeks or so, she got became a sharper version of herself. She learned a higher level of physical. She probably had to be more organized. She, she you know, she overcame adversity. She probably trained in bad weather, you know. She got to this higher level. And then what happens, and what happens when we get to higher levels is we experience higher levels of the behaviors in our life. So we, we behave better. And then once we hit the peak moment, because we no longer have that massive carrot in front of us and the, the doubt that drives the behaviors, we start to withdraw from those good behaviors. And we slowly kind of step back to what we were before we even started the goal. And the biggest mistake people wait is they wait too long to reset towards a new challenge. And so my advice, and I know this is a little bit late in the piece for Catherine, but my advice is my role once I've had a peak is to, to fill those needs, to do it in a way where it's as least damaging as possible, but still fulfills the needs that I have. And then within a set period of time, I'm going to reset a new goal that excites me and gets me sharp in my behaviors again. And that certain period of time, you know, probably depends on the goal, but you really don't need to go too much further than two weeks. And then, you know, at the end of that two weeks, you reset and you start to get back to that kind of higher version of yourself. So that would be my advice. And, and I really think, you know, that's how I've always thought about my life is I have these kind of growth moments, bit of a breather, reset, growth moment again. And ultimately what we're doing is we're just evolving the self by doing that. So hopefully, Catherine, it helps. And hopefully those trying to achieve big goals, that helps you as well. I think we're going to talk about one more thing. And I probably should have done this in my, my pre-show thing. But actually, I'm going to I'm going to go back and do this at the beginning of the show. So you'll hear this at the beginning of the show. And you'll see me have this thought later on the show. I'm going to wrap it up here. So guys, thanks so much for coming along to the show. Um, hopefully you enjoyed today's show. I'm going to have an interview for you guys in a couple of weeks. Hopefully it's the people of the book that I talked about earlier. If you've got any questions for me, you can send them to bevanjames at gmail.com. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com. Um, one, one little quick thing is I am thinking about changing the name of the show. Um, and I'm thinking about calling it Bevan James Isles Show. Um, just because, I don't know, uh, 
I've always tried to stay away from my name being the thing that drives this. But when I watch people who have been successful in podcasts, they've often used their own name. And so I thought, well, maybe it's time I do this myself. So let me know your thoughts. Do you think I should keep fitness behavior or do you think I should just call it the Bevan James Isles show? And it probably allows me to kind of explore, you know, because really, as much as I come from fitness, like today's show, was it a fitness show? Yes and no. I don't know. So anyway. Anyway, team, rock on. I'll see you guys same time, same place in two weeks. And you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks. Thank you.